No, I was <laughs> one of the things Ross was saying reminded me of of when I was a kid in in the youth group, and you know, people were talking about you know you don't want to be left behind, you don't want to have to go through the tribulation, and and there was always the one kid that would would pipe up and say, well, when it happens, then I'll get right with God, and and uh, you know, that's that's a cop out, first of all. I mean, if if there was tribulation don't you think it's going to be that much more harder to uh to come to faith you know even though you see evil all around you so the way i understand it is that the holy spirit is removed during that time so there's no um or at least makes it harder i guess to uh be saved welcome to city square podcast where we talk with everyday people about faith and work my name is micah i'm joined by my co-host john in this episode, we're having a bit of a roundtable discussion on eschatology. John and I are joined tonight by Ross Morris and Mitch Thompson. How are you guys doing? Yeah, I'm good. Glad you guys are glad you guys could join. Um, this is a bit of a roundtable discussion, so we will pose a question and we'll give everyone an opportunity to answer. After that, once everyone's answer to their satisfaction then we'll have a bit of a response time before we move on to the next um, question so uh, with that said let's go around give about a 30 second introduction uh, Ross would you like to start sure sure uh, my name's Ross McMorris um, I'm married been married for 22 years and I got three boys and I started up a church in a very small town in central Texas called Comanche, um, geographically central, um, not, not so much what people typically call central Texas. Um, but at any rate, um, that's been a fun adventure and uh, I've learned lots through that and I enjoy it thoroughly. That's pretty much my, my 10 cents. All right. Hi, I'm Mitch Thompson. I'm just recently moved to uh, near Bandera, Texas, uh, from San Antonio. Um, retired Air Force. Uh, been here in San Antonio area for about 27 years going on. Married, uh, but just past the 39th anniversary mark, and have a daughter who's currently gone crazy and moved to Boston. <laughs> Gotta be crazy yeah. to move back east like that. We'll see what what she. So we'll see what happens when it starts snowing. <laughs> John, bio time. The snow is when it gets fun, snow. man. Yeah, so um, let's see. I guess I'm a, one of the co-hosts of a City Square podcast, um, founder and owner of a digital solutions company called Orjo. Uh, spent seven years church planning out in West Texas, and I've now been out in San Antonio for going on my second year. Uh, been married to, for uh, eleven years, and I guess that kind of sums it all up, man. That is literally everything there is to me. Nice. <laughs> um, if you've watched the uh, the podcast before, you know who we are, but. Uh, my name is Micah. I have been married for 12 years, going on 13. Um, I live in DFW, Texas. I've got two kids, very old dog. Uh, 
Yeah. And anyways, um, yeah, I live in DFW. Um, couple kids, not a whole lot going on other than that. I work in the corporate world in healthcare. Luckily, it's mostly from home. So blessings there. Anything else before we get started? That's it, man. Cool. All right. So this is eschatology. I know we have at least a few different views represented. So question one would be, uh, what term or system best describes your um, current eschatological views? Ross, we'll start with you. Okay. You can expand Um, on that. You can expand on it too. Well, I come from a widely varied uh, church history, and so um, vast majority of that has been evangelical um, of some sort, but not always. Um, got a couple different uh, experiences at mainstream denominations, but regardless, uh, pretty much eschatology has been something I, I've avoided throughout most of my adult life. Um, mostly because I'm a practical guy and I want the things that are helpful for today and not going to be something that's helpful for tomorrow or talking about the past, depending on your view of the book of Revelation. Um, but at any rate, uh, my stances would be uh, um, pre-trib, I'm sorry, not pre-trib, pre-millennial. Um, and... Um, Gosh, now I'm pulling a blank on the uh, term. Yeah, gosh, <laughs> you threw it around, Micah, just a minute ago. Um, Dispensational. Yes, that's the one. Um, and, and I heard a actually just today I heard a new vocabulary term that I'd not heard before, um, which more accurately described it as a progressive dispensational view. Um, and I don't know if you guys have heard that or not. It might be old hat for you, but it was obviously, like I said, just today <laughs> um, for me. So, And then as far as rapture goes, um, I hope for pre-tribulational. Uh, I uh, pre- try to prepare myself for uh, post-tribulational, but um, so I, I kind of go with the, uh, the pan-tribulational. I'm a pan tribulation. It'll all pan out in the end. That's that's pretty much mine in a nutshell. I've heard that before. Um, cool. Thank you. Well, I grew Mitch, up you? Southern Baptist, um, not really knowing what all these terms were. Never, never really heard them as a kid. Um, so didn't know. I mean, I grew up hearing about the tribulation, the rapture, um, and all the all the bad stuff, you know, all the European Union, that's the the Roman Empire rebuilt, you know, and Henry Kissinger's the the Antichrist, and and all this stuff, you know, and, and it it didn't make sense. No, it, no one ever seemed to preach out of Revelation, so there wasn't really a whole lot beyond that. Um, and so I guess as I got older, um, well, as an adult. You know, I didn't really go to church a lot and or get our and when I, we did go to church as a family, it wasn't um, 
didn't really dip, put down roots because I was in the military. I knew I was going to leave in three years. So, you know, it was basically just, I guess, putting in the time type of situation. Uh, came here, settled down, figured we were going to stay here. So we were attending church and uh, somehow I got a hold of uh, Desiring God by uh, Hyper and and then Mere Christianity and a few others started reading, you know, people I'd never heard of my entire life, Luther, Calvin, and so forth, and realized that all the stuff I believed or thought I believed, uh, I didn't really believe anymore. Um, so I, I, right now, I would probably consider myself a post-millennial, you know, with kind of a positive outlook on the future. Things get better. All right, John? Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> but yeah, I'm with I'm with Ross too. It, it's it's yeah. kind of pan millennial as far as God's in control. He knows the future, and I just have to trust him and not really worry about it. In other words, I think John's beard is yeah. post millennial. <laughs> John, you're, it's yeah. gonna get better. I promise. Me, I'm just I'm never gonna try. <laughs> to go there i just you know it took me oh, like man. 12 years to get this so <laughs> cool all right john how about you yeah so it's interesting because what's i mean i guess what's interesting because i think everybody has said this in one way or another you um it seems that you kind of grow up around uh, some of this uh theology not knowing what it's really called or what it is. And so like, I mean, I think everybody here knows that I came into the faith in college. Everybody watching may not know that, but I came into the faith in college out in rural West Texas. And like, I think that John Darby's first dispensationalist sermon was in West Texas because like, dude, it is, West Texas is drenched thick and deep in all the various different strands of dispensationalism. Um, all the churches, the, the only time I think all the churches cooperated in that, in that area was when they came together to show the youth and college students, the left behind series from Tim LaHaye. That's the only time they ever worked together was to do that. And so like I went as a Christian, maybe not even like not even a year I mean, it's a free movie. So I went and watched it. And like, I learned that all the churches work together to get that film out there, to show it to everybody. And I was so, it was just so, it was, I was so confused. I had no idea what was going on. But somebody who started watching 9-11 conspiracy theory videos in high school in his bedroom kind of was, found it interesting. Mm. <laughs> um, and like, I mean, almost every pastor out there was eschatology was dispensational. Uh, the BSM director, which the ministry I got, I was saved. Uh, God saved me through, was a hardcore dispensationalist. He couldn't uh, teach this, the students at the the university without uh, throwing something in there. Um, one of the churches brought in like one of those end of days plays where they travel across the country and put it all together. Uh, we were all forced to be a part of it. I went and botched my uh, tryout intentionally and still somehow got a part in it. 
And so, like, I ended up guarding the gates of heaven with my foam sword and some other kind of weird stuff. Um, but, like, I didn't know what any of that stuff was called, man. That was all I had been exposed to, so I just mm. thought that was Christianity. But then a couple years later, um, when I, I'm finally discipled by the one guy who didn't show up tonight, <laughs> I started learning other stuff. And so started learning uh that there that there was the terminology pre-trib post-trib amil dispensationalism and all these different kind of things and so to answer the question man i would i probably i would say i'm closely most aligned with uh amillennials amillennialism and i would say that i'm probably like a preterist as well i think all of the all of the the end time stuff is in the past it's a symbolic and it's basically just a symbolic descriptions of events and that kind of thing gotcha gotcha i i think like it's funny. i uh also would say that i sympathize i don't know if i could affirm 100 percent, but i would probably sympathize with post mill on the idea that like things get better over time that's a part of it i would sympathize so kind of with a, that. you're kind of like a reverse entropy kind of guy <laughs> <laughs> could use science to disprove the bible now um that's funny. So I grew up dispensationalist. I did know what the terms meant. My dad is a um, Baptist pastor who loves dispensationalism and loves preaching out of Daniel, you know, the 69, 70th week of Daniel. Um, so, cause revelate, you know, you got to understand in the dispensational system, depending on the, the flavor of it, cause there are several, there are the, there's the kind of really far out there ones there is um, what I've heard of as progressive dispensationalism, which I think is kind of a, not maybe not quite a hybrid, but that for lack of a better term, there's like a hybrid between kind of the uh, covenantal uh, theology and dispensational theology. Um, at my previous church, they recommended a lot of those resources talking about, um, so they weren't, they weren't hardcore reformed but neither were they, you know, stereotypical Southern Baptist. So they kind of um, recommend a lot of those books that I think are called progressive dispensationalism or progressive covenantalism and things like that. I still got some of those on my wish list on Amazon just to keep track of them. But yeah, I grew up dispensational, pre-trib, pre-millennial, um, whole nine yards. My dad still is really into that, um, loves talking about it. And that was one of the things we would kind of not debate, but we would just discuss. I love discussing theology. Um, and then I went to Bible college and I took a class that is literally called dispensationalism. And the book that's uh, one of the, of course, the main um, most well, more prominent writers would be Charles Ryrie from Dallas Theological Seminary. And his book is called Dispensationalism. And that was one of the textbooks. So I grew up very much steeped in that, kind of in the, um, not in the wild-eyed conspiracy theory type, but in the that system. Um, and now I would consider myself a millennial, partial partial preter, uh, partial preterist or preterist, which means most of what the like John was saying, most of the um, typology or sim, uh, symbolism in Revelation that at least some of it's been fulfilled historically. Um, 
so that's kind of where I, I find myself now, which is the, uh, um, I do like that whole, it's all going to pan out pan millennialism. I think that's, I think that, um, as opposed to being a complete cop out, I think that can be a good attitude to have because there, um, some people get far too uptight about this. Um, I know that you guys know what I'm talking about, especially with the West <laughs> Texas influence there. Um, there are some people who, you know, and we'll, we'll get into maybe some of that a little bit later, but, um, you know, this, I remember just as a quick example, I remember in, uh, in high school, there was a church that a pastor and, um, some, uh, friends of mine, we were at a church camp and I found out that this pastor didn't believe in the pre-trip rapture. He believed, I think, in he might've been pre-millennialist still, but I think he went to kind of a post-trip rapture, um, which at that point might be synonymous with just the second coming, right? And I was like genuinely concerned that he was like leaving the faith because that's how important I viewed, you know, that kind of doctrinal precision. And I grew up independent fundamental Baptist, which they kind of, that's kind of their attitude most of the time is we are the most correct and, you know, everyone else who is not as correct as us is just lucky to get into heaven, perhaps. So I don't hold it quite as uh, tightly anymore. So Those who disagree with us get into heaven through the offering, offerings of their ancestors. Yeah, maybe <laughs> baptism for the dead. We could bring that from Mormonism to uh, <laughs> yeah. Good option. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, any uh, any further thoughts before we jump to the next question? I think the only thing I can really think to say, uh, just in general, is that I feel like uh, eschatology is such a broad and, and um, because there's so much undeniably symbolic language throughout. Uh, this literature, this biblical literature anyway, that I don't know how people can be highly dogmatic about it. Um, I hold the things loosely, you know, I, I, just because that I'm that way today doesn't mean that after I do a good in-depth study on my own, you know, eight years from now or whenever, um, doesn't mean I'm not going to totally switch camps. So, yeah, I'm open yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a, an example of that. Most of my life, if you think about it, or, you know, a good, yeah, we'll say most of my life. Um, I was embedded in you know, the first half, you know, I was embedded in dispensationalism. And then slowly it became less important. And then eventually I found myself uh, in the all-mill camp. So, yeah. I like how we're all like slowly slowly taking uh very polite chips at ross right now i think that's awesome yeah we I all know, so kind of grew up dispensations alone. but we all found a way to break away except for him yeah well, you know <laughs> yeah, screwing it up well, you know Why mess it, with it <laughs> <laughs> but i mean so like uh, normally usually i it, it rubs me the wrong way when somebody says Oh, I'm just pan mill. Like I'm just gonna. I trust that it's all just gonna pan out in the end. Uh, because, but like, I think there's 
there's something to be said about being able to like develop your eschatology and take it seriously while at the same time understanding like this is a secondary issue and for the sake of peace and unity with other brothers i just trust Mm -hmm. it's all going to work out in the end as opposed to i don't really care it's all going to work out in the end so what's the point even trying to like read about it Uh, i mean there is something uh there's some wisdom and humility and like here's my stance here's what it is i would love to like hash it out with you respectfully over a cigar and bourbon uh, but if we disagree, like it's all good, it's all going to work out in the end. So yeah, I think we're all probably agreed that it is not right. unimportant. Not like, it doesn't matter, issue. but yeah, it's um, it's yeah, it's not not a salvation issue for sure. It might affect your how you minister, mm-hmm. how you act. Um, I think it, I think, I think it does, and it can. Um, but. It's not, you know, we're not talking virgin birth um, or, you know, the return of Christ, right? He is returning. That's part of the part of the whole Christian thing. Um, but the manner of his return is, I mean, I think in just historically, the two dominant views have been um, a form of pre-mill and a form of all-mill, mm-hmm. just in the historical church, for sure. Um and then post mill is as articulated now is a little bit newer, and of course dispensational um, as a system or dispensationalism as a system is is newer as well. But um, you know that's. Yeah, you know, I was gonna say I know for me, uh, growing up, hearing about the rapture and all the things that have to do with dispensationalism, I guess the rapture, tribulation, and such, and coupled with the fact that I was nominally involved in church and, and all that, uh, I actually grew up or for the longest time, even as an adult worried about that, you know, did, did I do something that uh, means I won't get raptured? Um, I told John one time, I, I used to be laying in bed and my wife would get up to go get a drink of water or, or whatever. And I would feel her not there and I would panic occasionally you know oh my gosh you know where's the ring where's the the nightgown you know Um, so learning that there were other schools of thought on this and that this may not be it that's not the only thing out there helped me quite a bit in in strengthening my relationship with christ because now i wasn't fearful anymore so yeah I'm not saying it happens to everybody. Obviously, it doesn't happen to everybody. That's just how I saw, because there was a period of time when my folks, they church hopped a lot. So we were Southern Baptists for a while. Then they went to Free Will Baptists for a while. Then they really went out there and went to a Pentecostal full gospel church for a while, which didn't have grace. It was like, you know, you hit your hit your nail or hit nail a, your thumb or something like that, say a swear word, die and, and go straight to hell, even though you were praying right before. And uh, so that, that worked on me too, things like that. Uh, but just knowing that that's not necessarily what it is, at least in my point. And I, and I saw a lot of friends that would just give up, say, I can't, I can't live the life. I, I, I'm going to fail anyway and just turn away from God altogether. 
it is interesting how like different people in different life stages can view these doctrines in different ways or different life stages or different mindsets. You know, someone like Luther, for example, was very much tormented mm-hmm. by his conscience and very much aware of his sin. So, um, cause it sounded to me like that was a bit of an mm-hmm. assurance of salvation issue perhaps was the root of that playing out in, you know, fear and stuff like that. Whereas like, I know someone like my father is like, he holds on to it as such a comfort and a joy, the thought of the rapture. Um, you know, so I think it's just, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's not necessarily calling out that mm. doctrine in particular, but just noting how different experiences and can different, uh, mindsets and that sort of thing, um, you know, can kind of go different ways. So interesting. All right. Question two. Yeah. So with all that being said, in addition to uh, the Bible, what has uh, what has informed your eschatology? And uh, we can go ahead and start with Ross on that one. Okay. Well, I feel like for me, the most part, it was just the things that I heard in church. Um, I can remember as a kid watching it, and I'm going to date myself here for people who have been in the Christian world for a good while. Um but I can remember as a kid watching a movie called mm. Like a Thief in the Night. Mm-hmm. That gave me a few mm-hmm. nightmares as a kid, but um, that was a, a revelation-type imagining um, coming from, of course, same viewpoint as what I, I held and at that point, especially since I was a kid. I hadn't heard anything different. Um, but mostly it was just, you know, hearing from things, going through a, uh, you know, like youth group, going through a study on the book of Revelation, um, things like that. So um, it's always been driven home that way. And I, I've truthfully, I, I've not heard somebody who's uh, well-educated and, and spoken on the subject that was able to, well, not able, that gave a compelling case. Um, it just... I, haven't had that many discussions outside of my sphere. The biggest, the biggest discussion was whether you were a pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, and believing about the mm. rapture. So, I don't know so like you've never actually heard debates. You never heard debates mm-hmm. or cases for anything like outside of it. It's only no. been debates and cases for the views within it. Dispensation, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've heard descriptions of, but it was always given by people who believe the same way as me. And so, of course, they're, they're not trying to convince me of anything. And so they're not making yeah. a case for why, you know, amillennialism is compelling or something like that. It's it's always been, well, this is what amillennialism is. And so, and of course, the end conclusion is, and why would anyone believe that? So... That's kind of been my experience. I really haven't even read any literature. Um, I think I read like the first book on uh, that Left Behind series, and um, I wasn't willing to wait for the other books to be published. For me, yeah, I hate you know starting and stopping in a series, and so it, it wasn't compelling enough for me to sit there and wait for the other books to come out. 
I just looked up that movie because that's like the third time I've heard about it in the past two days. There's like I'd what, never heard seven or eight until books. the past this week. Yeah. No, no, oh, no, no. I the think Thief in the Night. Oh, Thief in the Night. Yeah, that was a good one. Midnight Cry was another yeah, one, I think, yeah. from that era, too, wasn't it? Huh. Yeah, John, that was before yeah. your time. Pretty sure. In the 70s or something. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Kid. <laughs> Well, yeah, what about so you, still fairly new to the whole, you know, the post mail. So I'm, I probably get a lot of terms messed up. I but I just finished a book called uh, Paradise Restored by was it David Chilton, and uh, it is a study on Revelation from a post mill I think it's full preterist. Uh, his case is that all of the uh, uh all of revelation is uh along along with tied with uh, daniel and i think ezekiel and a few others in the old testament it is the god's judgment on israel uh, all of that is all all the code that john wrote it's it's telling you know nero's the antichrist hang on you know uh the whole flee the city all of that stuff is the destruction of israel as a nation and so therefore Revelation was fulfilled, and I'm not saying I 100% agree with that. I don't even know if I do or not. I mean, I need to read more. I don't read enough, but that's the latest book that I read that has helped me understand more than what I thought I did growing up and you know in younger years. Other than that, it would be uh, C.S. Lewis, I guess. A lot of Lewis's stuff. Um, I've read a good chunk of his work, um, Piper, and I can't think of the other one now, but just bits and pieces here and there. It, it was a slow process. It took several years for me to realize that uh, I didn't believe like that anymore. What about you, Micah? Good question. I wonder who wrote this one. Um, <laughs> so I, I haven't read a ton. I, I did mean a few several years ago. I did mean to pick up those progressive dispensationalism and progressive covenantalism books. I never did, but I did listen to. Um, uh, there's a church in. Up, up in my area that um, regularly did a theological, uh, basically adult Sunday school class, <clears throat> and they put those resources online. And I listened to a long series they did on eschatology, and that was um, probably the first time that I felt like the views made sense because I'd never really been, I'd never really looked at all of them. Um. I'd never quite uh, seen them all compared and heard like an in-depth analysis because I just, I grew up in an environment where, you know, when you grew up in a certain environment, a lot of times that mm. the theology is assumed as being the only correct one. So you don't bother really looking into or checking out other stuff. Um, 
So yeah, I listened to that whole series, which was fairly extensive. And that was kind of where I was solidified as millennial. I felt that made the most sense. They walked through the reasons for it and that sort of thing. They, I think they were, they were a Reformed Baptist church, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, there's a number of other things. Uh, the, I'm, I'm Lutheran. The Lutheran confessions basically presuppose amillennialism. Haven't dug in uh, into that specific part. There's a lot to go through. I'm currently reading through a couple other sections. Um, but yeah, so those would be a couple things. There is a, a pretty interesting channel that has some decent resources on it. It's called Ready to Harvest. And I believe the host of the channel is actually um, a Baptist man, I think independent fundamental Baptist. But he approaches almost everything from a very neutral point of view. And he um, lays out the different views and, you know, compares them up against each other so there is he does have in the in one of the videos i've watched he does have a lot of charts but it's not the you know the conspiracy theorist chart it's more of here's the similarities between the systems here's where they might overlap um stuff like that so we'll we'll leave a link to a couple of those videos i think in the description of this uh podcast um so yeah some some podcasts um and then there, I mean, there are, I know there are, there are a ton of books that have been written on this. I just haven't really dug into them. Um, not in the last few years anyway. So it wasn't, it became less important to me. Um, cause I was kind of immersed in it. It was a, an area of strong interest for my, my father and, and me at the time as well. But, um, you know, once I kind of, moved into adulthood and started working a real job and, you know, having a family, then that became a little bit lower on the, uh, uh, priority list. So, yeah, that's the main thing there. Nice. Uh, I guess for me, it's a kind of like a variety of things, probably, I guess, similar to, to Micah. Um, studying different, the more I study different uh, denominations and uh, traditions, uh, had a had a big impact. Um, the studying of church history uh, started to, to have a really big impact. Um, like a lot of like different podcasts and YouTube channels, kind of like the one that Micah just referenced earlier, Ready to Harvest, uh, had been pretty kind of helpful. Um, I think all y'all know that back in my college days. I was like a, I followed like Mark Driscoll and Marcel quite a bit. And one of the things that they did really well was inform their people on theology. And so they held like different classes and Q and A's and that kind of stuff. And I would just watch that stuff for hours at a time. And they kind of talked about uh, eschatology. Um, interestingly, interestingly enough, Tim Keller was probably a, a big influence uh, as well. Cause he would talk about eschatology in a drastically different way than I'd heard a lot of people talk about it. Um, mm. R.C. Sproul was a, probably a, another big one as well. Uh, there's a church up in McKinney that has a theological equipping class that I follow periodically that teaches a lot about a lot of things. And I watched some of their stuff was pretty helpful. Um, but I think one of the biggest things for me was probably on eschatology that I think history had to have probably been like one of the biggest things for me that kind of like helped me 
kind of like shift and grow and uh, develop in that uh, because Amel is the most dominant uh, escal- uh, view throughout church history. And um, basically, I would never have said I was a dispensationalist, but I was where I was saved. That was what I was being taught to me. And I didn't even know it. And um, that theology being so fairly new and invented from like the 1850s was a big thing for me that kind of bothered me quite a bit. Um, that was kind of a big thing that was made it really easy for me to like, to say, okay, I, I know I don't, I don't agree and believe in the, with that. Um, this one here has probably been the most dominant one throughout church history. That doesn't make it inherently correct, but that's it's worth noting and paying attention to. So, I mean, the couple of those things were, were pretty big for me. It might be, I realize we kind of jumped in. It might be helpful to define the terms a bit. And I'm, I'm you know, guessing that yeah, most, people who are, yeah, really most people who are good um, idea. watching this might be familiar. <laughs> but I don't want to necessarily assume. Uh, um, I feel and like we really, knew better than that. What's that? So I feel like we knew better than to do that. <laughs> well, I was, I was like, you know what? Maybe like... I, j- I had a friend who was just recently in a in a debate, and one of the things he wished he would have done was define the terms of the debate a little more at a more elementary level. Um, yeah, because it, it ended up there were some assumptions and there was some miscommunication just based on like kind of low level understanding. So, uh, millennium or eschatology right is the study of last things or final things or later things um the millennial refer millennium refers to christ's reign pre-millennial means christ comes comes before post he comes after the millennium ah millennium means there's really the the ah prefix means there's no millennium but in reality that in reality, the position is we are in the millennium already. Um, so those are the the main differences. It's really on the timing of Christ's coming, which is kind of the main dividing points. Does anyone have anything they want to add to that before we go any further? Um, I do, but I want to see if anybody else does real quick. No, go ahead. Okay. So like uh, you said, post-mill uh, usually means second coming after the millennium. Uh, but usually within post mill, the I, they, the belief is the millennium, the thousand years is not usually literal. And um, we, uh, God, dude, I cannot believe we did not do this in the beginning. That bothers me because like I feel like we knew better than that. Um, I've thought about, I've been thinking about this for about ten minutes. And uh, I'm like, I need to figure out how to scoot, scoot that in there somewhere. And like I know that our producer and editor is going to like <laughs> say something about it. <laughs> And like rightfully so. Um, anyways, so we also mentioned the the tribulation, right? And so the tribulation is a seven year period, and so there's the pre trib and post trib usually, and the pre trib is usually in reference to like um, the uh, Christ comes pre trib or Christ's return is post. There's a mid trib as well. Yeah. Right. There's also the mid trib as as well. Yeah, it's pre mid and post. Um, and the tribulation is a period of suffering as well. I've heard it mentioned and, as a judgment um, on Israel as well. Also Rapture. The, the tribulation. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I hope rapture, we'll get into that later. The rapture is um, in the dispensational 
view the rapture as a separate event from the mm-hmm. second coming. Second coming, yeah. Yeah, whereas in the ah-mill, post-mill, at least views, um, and I think maybe the historic pre-mill, they're, they are not separated from each other, so they might be, in fact, yeah. the same event. Um, yeah. But we reject the term rapture. We do. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so okay. Any any other th- anything else we need to add to the definition now that we are uh you know 20 minutes into this. Mm-hmm. 40 minutes into this. <laughs> cool. All right. Oh, so, so we that ran was a response time for question 2. Yeah, what resources have informed your eschatology? Anything else we want to add before we uh Go on. Uh, so I'll go ahead and do that. Um, man, I had a something. I had a couple. I should have wrote them down, but our little detour kind of like caught me off guard. <laughs> um, dang. I'm just gonna trust that. I'll come back to it. You probably will. and we will. We will link that. I, there's one video in particular that um, I'm thinking of that lays all these views out in a very succinct manner, very detailed, but also very quick. We'll link that. So I'll tell people to start with that if they're confused about what the categories are, because there are, there are so many, there are different mm-hmm. combinations of views and there are places like where post mill and on mill crossover a lot. Um, anyways, so it's, it's pretty funny. Um, I thought this, this might be interesting. We've already touched on this a little bit, but in, I think in American culture in particular, and this might've spread to other areas of the world by now, kind of as a, one of our cultural or theological exports, but in America, I think in particular, there's a kind of a big pop eschatology kind of vibe and marketplace Left Behind might be one of the most uh, well-known examples of that, or at least in kind of the current Zeitgeist. There's been, I mean, there was the book series, and then there's been three different movies, as well as some of the sequels and stuff. Got Kirk Cameron, Nicolas Cage, and then I'm not sure who is playing who in this new one that's coming out, but there is a new one coming out. So we got Left Behind, we've got... um, Got authors oh, like Hal Lindsey. What's his name? John Hagee. Yeah. Hal Lindsey. Um, you know, um, some of those like prophetic blood moon stuff are heavily dependent on the dispensational. Not to, and honestly, we're not trying to pick on dispensationalism, but um, it's am. kind of the do- it's the dominant kind of kind of mm-hmm. pop culture view, right? But I was also thinking anyway. about other. Yeah. I was also thinking about other other like Hollywood movies and other sort of, you know, entertainment categories. There's a lot of like apocalyptic at least loosely based on the Christian kind of themes. Like there's a movie called Legion where, you know, an angel falls to earth, another angel. You know, and and there's this show Supernatural which has all sorts of um, you know, rather misinterpreted um, biblical imagery and that sort of thing. So all that being said, any concerns or anything, what do you think has been the result of, of all that sort of 
pop culture focus on eschatology? You think it's a positive and negative somewhere in between? I, Let's see. Mitch, um, you want to go first? I was going to say, by and large, I think it's, it's, go ahead. it's a negative uh, just because it misinforms people. Um, it takes a truth maybe and yeah, to, to make a lie. So you have a little uh, lies work best when there's a little truth in them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I read the left of Heinz back when I was still going, you know, going through that, uh, eschatology. I thought they were entertaining and I thought, you know, it, this could happen, I guess, but, uh, Hagee, I've never taken seriously. Um, he's, yeah, he's here in town. Yeah. So he's his blood moon stuff. If, if you're wrong once, you should just shut up. Um, be, be thankful you're not being stoned. Uh, so you're not charismatic as well. No, not. <laughs> I will say that you know the time that I spent in a Pentecostal church, you see things and you can't explain, and I I won't say that it was bad or wrong. I just have no explanation for it. So it could have been to the Holy Spirit. Could very well have been. I'm not the one to, to, to judge stuff like that. But uh, it is a little unnerving. Anyway, no, I, I think overall it's a bad, bad deal because it, it gets things into people's minds that aren't necessarily true about God and about end times and about uh, salvation. Yeah, there, there might be a. Um... I think there's a broader category too, and maybe not not just limited to eschatology. So this that might <clears throat> branch off into a massive discussion at some point. But you know, there's the the um, the what uh, what's the one I'm looking for? Constantine mm, yeah. as well. I mean, I think that's a comic book that was made into a movie. There's all sorts of like movies and TV shows and comic books that have like a basis of Christian terminology, and then they you know they they run an audible a little bit. I'd say they take it and that. they run with it. Yeah, they take it and they run with it the wrong way. Uh, all right, how about you, Ross? Um, for me, I would say it, it's mixed. It's definitely a mixed bag. What I really wish is like in every movie or um, every book, you could have the author come out and say, um, like for the left behind, you know, have Tim LaHaye, a little video you had to watch before you could read each book. It'd be like, hey, remember, guys, seriously, this is for entertainment purposes. I mean, yes, I support a lot of time studying and I believe this is the right way to interpret scripture on this matter. But all, all these applications that we're coming up with, all these things, we're just we're imagining something. And that would be helpful. Um so people wouldn't take it as educational because I know with my experience back when those books were coming out, um, I was part of Southern Baptist Church at the time, and um, it, it just never ceased to amaze me how people would start quoting the book more than the Bible, and they treated what Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins had come up with as seriously, at least as important mm -hmm. as the Bible, and I was just like, oh goodness, and so you're like, how do I get them out of this mindset without abusing yeah. the person. <laughs> so, um, it, like I said, it, it's had some help in that, you know, you, you watch a movie or, or a book or you read a book um, 
and somewhat, if you can take out the entertainment and, and realize that there's some imagination going on, um, it can be a good way to illustrate um, what the Bible talks about. But to realize that it, it's not the same thing as actual study of the scripture or anything like that. Uh, so, But it, like, it's, didn't Tim LaHaye and Jenkins want their books to be treated not just as entertainment? They wanted it to be treated like as some know. as truth? Because like they create they released a Bible study for the books to go through as you read the books so that you could learn the eschatology when you went through them. Truthfully, I don't know what their intention was. Um, uh, if you're releasing, it makes sense to me. Um, if I had taken the time to write all these books and, and suddenly these people are being thrust into the limelight as experts to go ahead and release a Bible study and say, these are the conclusions we came at. But again, just like I said a while ago, I don't think anyone can be genuinely dogmatic regarding end time <laughs> study. It's just, we don't know. <laughs> Jesus didn't come down and say, okay, let me clarify a few points here. So uh, it just, it, yeah. it's not helpful to uh, be rigid in, in your stances. What do you think, John? Um, I'd remember, I'd remember the question for a second. Pop eschatology. I mean, negative, positive. I'm going to say negative, man. I, for one, I've never heard of a positive thing to come out of it. Um, I think it mm -hmm. tends to make us look like clowns. It makes us look like jokes, losers. It looks mm -hmm. like it makes us look like weirdos. Um, I just so you're never heard of anything. What people think of you? Yes, I think everybody should be. <laughs> uh, yeah, even though I don't Christ think said anybody's ever walked away from sake. nobody's ever walked away from a job interview saying I don't care what those people think about me. <laughs> so Until they know, didn't get the job, and then they get the Christ job like said, I don't care what they think about me. Where, where Christ said, you know, you'll be hated for my sake. Like that's, you're like, ah, oh, no, it's fine. God, I want people to like me. Um, I mean, like, yeah, like, I don't understand how John Hagee keeps getting money. Yeah. I, I don't know. And I just don't, I don't get this. I honestly don't get this stuff, man. I mean, some of the movies and stuff is like, is good, I guess, kind of like entertainment. I mean, but like Legion, I think I saw that when I was in high school. I mean, that's probably a more obscure, like, yeah, example, um, but that's one that came to mind. But like, one of the ones that came to mind, I don't know what it is about Nicolas Cage and like biblical ish apocalyptic movies, but he's did like a remake of Left Behind, right? And uh, he also did The Knowing, which they reference scripture in as well. So I don't really know what's, I don't know what's going on with that dude. Um, but like ultimately, man, like I don't, I don't really think it's a, I don't think it's a good thing, um, and in a sense, man, generally speaking, which I, I don't like doing this, even though even when I do it, it's kind of like the American church's fault mm -hmm. that a lot of this stuff has happened. Uh, we just don't take, we just don't, I mean, we just don't take a lot of our theology yeah. seriously, generally speaking, and that's kind of like the, seriously. the price that what's up. Or maybe too seriously in some instances. I mean, yeah, there's there's some people that take it, I guess, too seriously. Um, but 
yeah, man. Um, I don't think it's really a really good thing. I think it's in for for my part. I think it's interesting because um, there are the more theologically inclined works that are not purporting to be works of fiction. Um, like I'm, I know there's a ton. Like I think it's Hal mm-hmm. Lindsey, the late great Planet Earth. Yeah, I believe is right. his or something along those lines. You got Hagee with Blood Moons, and some of that stuff is not strictly eschatology related, but is you know there's other elements in there as well. Um, when it comes to movies and TV shows that delve kind of into the Christian, they they have a myth mythology or a mythological version of the Christian story. Got like the Supernatural was on TV for like 17 seasons or something like that. I don't know um, how that was possible. I don't know either, man. Um, and a bunch of, you know, a bunch of movies that portray God or angels or demons or, you know, supernatural things or exorcisms, you know, then in ways that are not accurate. Um, and, you know, some of them might be entertaining, but I was thinking it really, they really all contribute to like a mm-hmm. false view of God because they usually almost always, usually almost always, that's a fun little sequence. They, almost always seem to portray God as, as unfair and unkind and vengeful. And, you know, the angels fall because they're more righteous than God. Um, in supernatural, the series, which I, I watched a long time ago, I watched some of them a long time ago. God is portrayed as kind of a small, petty, uninterested man. Um, in other Something movies like, like, open like Legion, in other movies like Legion, he's, you know, um, portrayed as extra wrathful or, you know, capricious or, um, you know, everything, it, it, it's the yeah. opposite of what God is, you know, as holy and loving and just and righteous. Um, and, lo- you know, so anyways, I just, some of those might be entertaining, but I think they do contribute to, um, no, they're essentially mm-hmm. lying about his character. So, you know. Well, like a lot of them, man, even the more like, even the ones that would probably be considered like Christian film, they play, they cultivate a spirit of fear. And I mean, scripture is generally pretty clear that a spirit of fear doesn't come from, isn't something that God right. is about cultivating in you. And that's should be a that should be more alarming to to people. Maybe, yeah. Well, any uh, any other thoughts on pop culture and some of those things before we move on to the next question? Well, just to add on to what you were saying about Hagee and and Blood Moons, I was thinking, I think I'd read somewhere that he promotes a two different messiah there's a messiah for for gentiles and a messiah for jews and they haven't gotten their messiah yet is that anybody else heard that or anybody cared enough to read his works to know what i'm talking no. about no, no. That, that's the truth of it. <laughs> yeah i have not cared enough Which, to read if his, true his work. yeah so if, if it's true that, then i, I mean that's obviously misleading and and uh something that yeah it's heretical definitely 
um, straight up heresy. Yeah. Just the fact that you know the messiahs are, and and I will say that uh, when we went to this one church, we did go to Israel on a trip uh, to the Holy Land, one of the tours, and just kind of cool from a historical perspective, anyway. But uh, our our tour guide actually said that you know you had your Christ, we're still waiting for ours. So um, that's misleading, you know, sending a lot of people to hell just because they're saying, well, that's yours. That's, I'm waiting for mine. Yeah, it's a very Jewish view because they, they don't right. believe Jesus is the Messiah. So they're still they're mm-hmm. still waiting, you know, in their minds. Yeah. And I think one of the one of the things to add, possibly, this might have been one of the definitions is um, what system you're in kind of depends on how you um, or how you view Israel kind of depends on what mm-hmm. system you're in as well. Because um, for most of the system, the church is the new Israel, right? We've, we've been the Gentiles were grafted into true Israel, you know, the true believers, um, whereas I grew up thinking of them as you know, God's not done with his ethnic people in, in the sense. Um, and there's those two categories, you know, and there's a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of development and different views kind of play into, into that. Right. There's not one unanimous view in dispensationalism, but it does kind of, that's another aspect of, um, the systems that might vary from person to person or system to system. So, so, um, tying into the question that we're on right now, um, I think this is y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to be like an American thing. Uh, like, what is the hangup that we have with apocalyptic, like movies, film, literature, and that kind of stuff? Because it seems to be something that Americans seem to enjoy, that we seem to have a hangup with. What do you I mean? I think you kind of hit the nail on the head early on with uh, talking about how when you were before you came to Christ, you were watching 9-11 conspiracy mm-hmm. things. I think there's yeah. part of us that always loves that speculative idea that we're on the right track. That there's something that most people don't know, but but I get it. I yeah. understand. And and so we just latch on to that. And that, that's why I feel like eschatology is such a hot topic uh, for, for debate. At least it has been through. Uh, what I've I've observed in in yeah. my years anyway, and why I've typically avoided it, um, and so it just again, I just don't feel like people can be really dogmatic about things because we just don't know. The only thing I think that most almost everybody could agree about with the Book of Revelation is that the theme is Jesus wins mm-hmm. in the end. I think it gives it a kind of a Gnostic yep. feel to it, you know, this secret knowledge of what's going to happen in the future. And I know something you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I've listened to a couple of programs and I've got a book on my wish list about just called mm-hmm. like Gnostic America, basically. How, you know, there's a lot of that going on in the current political movements as well. Um, basically, and using the term woke, you're, you're alert, you, your eyes have been open to how the world really works, how it really functions. You know, um, it's an interesting kind of case study on 
not not necessarily just it's not just about the political left versus right but about kind of america and our culture as a, in general so i mean i think we all kind of want to be thought of as intelligent smart and in the know and that plays out differently depending on your values and your your influences so so like this word came up twice back to back just now so let me ask this how have you seen the gnosticism infiltrate like the church and theology like and even to the point like within eschatology go <laughs> you're supposed to call out who we're going who's going so we don't talk over each other right okay um micah oh me yeah oh, i have no idea um i'm not i'm not gnostic enough <laughs> oh my gosh well, man in reality um so a lot of common themes there, there are differences in certain gnostic movements right and i think it was uh john was even dealing with kind mm -hmm. of proto-gnosticism um when he was writing mm -hmm. um i think his epistles it wasn't necessarily a defined system yet but uh, one of the main tenets is the physical is 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 um the physical world matter is corrupted um so there then there are of course different there's the manichaeans and there's other groups that have kind of come out of um the proto-gnostics um but you know the word comes from knowledge right it's it's um uh m a mystical knowledge often or something esoteric that you know yes yeah, like like are... a secret knowledge kind of stuff yeah that's yeah. that's really the the simple way of putting it for sure secret knowledge um <clears throat> so one like from a lutheran perspective um one of and this is not original to me um but one of the things is uh, a focus on the spiritual experience, the inner voice. Um, so, a, like a Lutheran would would might be might be pretty quick to call, call out people in evangelicalism that are or in Pentecostalism that are very focused on um, emotional experience um, because that and because Lutherans are very or very about the sacraments and God coming to us through physical means. So um, there's some of that. I think in general, like the um, some of the attitude you get out of um, the political movements that we're seeing political and social movements in our country are um, primarily about you know how we're, people are some people are woke and some people are not. And woke um, brings to mind that you see the actual fabric of society. Oh, you know, if if this type of institution is biased against one or the other, you know, that's that's a secret mm. knowledge that not everyone has. Um, so that can kind of underpin some of those movements. Um, and then there's also kind of a. This might not be exclusive to Gnosticism, but some of the way that pe some of the way some of the way that people refer to history as history is on our side, history mm. will judge us correctly. You know, they're they're attributing god-like or deity-like um attributes to this mythical being of history um so that's a few th that's a few areas where i can kind of and these of course these are not original thoughts with me this is um some stuff that i've heard and read so 
All right, man. Um, well, I think Mitch, you got something. Humans in general have always had a fascination with knowledge or, or knowledge that's not generally known. You know, the secret, hidden things. Uh, Americans, in particular, have had an extreme fascination with, with like secret societies, the the Masons, the Elks, and all these secret organizations where they have different levels of knowledge. I mean, in, in Masonry, you've got different levels from uh, the apprentice all the way up to the grandmasters or whatever. Um, and it naturally would bleed over. If it's something like that, it's going to bleed over into everything. I mean, Mormonism as a whole is a Gnostic religion. Uh, it's all about the knowledge as you as you go up. Uh, um, Scientology, all that stuff. So we, I think we've just had, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of intensified in American society where, you know, just knowing something that isn't generally known gives you power of some sort, real or perceived. Uh, Ross, what do you I don't think, have man? anything constructive to add, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and one of the major tenets, if I didn't mention this, was that the material world yes. is is bad. Yes. So that's what I was about to get into. Yeah. So so uh, Gnostic sects or, or groups have traditionally fallen into either like heavy Puritanism in a t- in a way or um, mm-hmm. libertinism. Right. Yeah. Um, or libertine. It doesn't matter what you do with your body. John, uh, um, <laughs> yeah. Either either everything matters, and you've got to be a monk mm-hmm. or an ascetic, or nothing matters, and you can you know. So that's why you see, you know, kind of the two extremes when there when there's a new cult that started up. It's either it's either hedonism or it's you know um, extreme asceticism. So material world bad, spiritual world world good we must you know transcend it so yeah i mean there's so, a lot more we can yeah like said, but i mean because not just like the knowledge aspect of it but like the uh like it's like the 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 despise and hatred for like it's like the the physical is something that i've seen like within like a lot of sex within the christianity and so I know some of the the first Christians I was around were after I was saved. Like there was a few, there was people who would nearly like cuss out their bodies because like they couldn't stand like they hated their flesh and they talk about how their flesh was evil and their flesh was wicked and they couldn't wait. They yearned for the day when God would free them from this like evil wicked body that that they had, which is in a sense very nos like which is narcissism in a sense, um yeah. and. The I would see like, like a like the like a some kind of like weird like hatred for the like the the earth, because like the earth was tainted and the earth was wicked, and they looked forward to the day when God would free them from this planet and He would take them off to like the new planet, which was heaven, and we would go and live like in that faraway place uh, that He had prepared for us, and then He would just like this would just we just blow this up or something. Um, and so like, I mean, that's to me that a lot of that sounds very, very Mm -hmm. like, like Gnosticism. And so, and then there's also like the weird, like, I've got this, like the knowledge kind of aspect where it's like, well, you got to read between the lines of scripture and you got to look for the hidden codes that he left for us in between the pages. And when you add these things up, you get America, 
somewhere, some way or something. A good, a good example of that yeah. would be Da Vinci Code, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess I could yep. just said Da Vinci Code, and then yeah, because I mean, on. you've got literal Gnostic Gospels that are the mm-hmm. inspiration for a lot of that. Um, yeah, and that's interesting, John, because that's another that's another thing that comes up too is, um, there are certain some teachings and or some certain theological teachings that that God will destroy the earth and build mm-hmm. a new one, right? Or He'll destroy the heavens and the earth and build new ones, whereas one version is, you know, he builds all new things. Another would be he makes all things new. Um, so I grew up with kind of an emphasis on the earth will be destroyed because of sin. Um, but one of my prior, I heard this in one of my prior churches was, no, he, he comes to make things new. He's going to pure, you know, the earth will be mm-hmm. purified and renewed not wholesale made new again from you know X and Halo. So another little difference there. I don't know if that's directly tied into Gnosticism, but it, you know, it may have kind of its roots in that. Cause that was one of this author that I was reading. Um, that's one of his arguments is that it's just kind of the air we breathe in a lot of, in a lot of senses. Um, it's not, uh, much much like dispensationalism and for some parts of the country or some some different movements um you guys are talking about west texas in that kind of way you know um there's other other and then you've got you know uh, jumping topics but you got some soteriology like you've got calvinism versus arminianism um some some movements some churches that's just the air you breathe in right so and it can kind of affect you even without knowing it so for good or for ill right depending on the system so any last thoughts on that all good cool um so how would you say that your uh eschatology affects your doxology your doxology do we need to define that further uh, yeah go ahead man <laughs> so like doxology be your practice right your love, your manner of living. Worship. Unless we're using it completely wrong. So how does it, how does, does, does your eschatology affect your, affect how you minister or how you live? Go ahead, Ross. Um, maybe it's simply because uh, I've largely ignored it um, over you know, my adult life. Um, but I'd have to say not in any significant way. I mean, th- there's a sense of urgency in, in that, you know, with my view, you never know when Christ is going to come back and, and it, it's it's going to be, and there's going to be an eventual judgment. And I think the Bible is very clear about that. And, and so, you know, I, I look at people and, and you know, part of me just wants to, Go shake them and say, "Hey, you don't have a bunch of time to make up your mind. You need to, you need to know Jesus. You need to give over to Him." And um, that that's not been a a uh, method of evangelism that I've chosen to engage in. Um, but there is that urgency in there um, because we don't know. Um, I like 
with my theology regarding end times, uh, uh, the dispensationalism, like you said, you know, there's question, part of what it answers in questions is what is Israel in regards to Re Revelation? And so um, a lot of people will believe that, you know, there's the spiritual nation of Israel, which like what you said, Micah, is, is pretty much church at this point. People have been faithful to God um, in, in truth throughout the uh, uh, millennia. Um, but there's also a physical nation that we have of Israel that's just kind of the big question mark uh, in dispensationalism. And, um, you know, I hear I heard a lot about uh, the prophecy that, you know, the, the generation that sees Israel become a nation would be the one that saw Christ's uh, basically mm. the rapture. <laughs> um, and I know you love that term, John. But <laughs> regardless, uh, that was kind of the, the big deal there. And so uh, with that generation that literally fought um, and, and helped free up uh plot of land or the ability for Israel to become a physical nation again. Um, a lot of people were saying it's got to be soon. It's got to be soon. And, and, you know, for all I know, they're right. And then part of me has also been asking, all my, you know, for most of my adult life, it's like when we're talking about Israel, are we talking about the nation of Israel, which is composed of Jews and Palestinians and Christians, and each have their little quarter in, in the city of Jerusalem, or are we talking about the proper biblical idea of what Israel is, you know, those descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, you know, I'm like, I, I truthfully, I don't know. So it could be coming soon, and it could be nowhere near my lifetime. Um, but either way, I, I think it, it's it's a little helpful anyway to have that, that fire lit under you a little bit so that you're not just like, yeah, I can wait till tomorrow. Because none of us is guaranteed tomorrow, regardless of end time theology. Um, we don't know. And I think the Bible's pretty clear, you know, says it's pointed unto man once uh, to die and then judgment. So we don't we don't have a guarantee for tomorrow for any one of us. So there needs to be some urgency. But as far as how most of uh, my ministry has gone, it hasn't been really affected. Just like I said, that sense of urgency. Right. And um, I'm just going to repeat the question real quick and then we'll uh, let Mitch swing at it really hard. How does your how does your eschatology affect your doxology and does it affect how you approach ministry? Hey. So I, I would say, yeah, it has affected my doxology and my praise of God to uh change how you know, like I, as i've said earlier it's changed how i look at uh, salvation for one thing um another term for you tulip uh, uh, talk about the perseverance of the saints um knowing that um uh, yes we're, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow but i also believe that you know that uh where the bible says that none that the father has given to the son he will lose. So, um, knowing that, knowing that, and knowing that uh, uh, the way I, you know, present the gospel is a little different. You know, that 
it's not me it's it's the holy spirit and, and it requires me speaking and and explaining what's going on what who christ was and what he came to do and and all that but it's not me um saving them it's not me being the one um and i'm gonna go down rabbit trails here sorry um no 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 go for man yeah rabbit trails are where the content no. comes from i, I yeah <laughs> i i would say it, it mainly it's, it's affected how i live day to day as far as uh, that security of knowing that uh, i'm christ's um nothing can change that go with that what about you Michael um, well one thing I'm thinking about is we picked the wrong word it's not necessarily yeah. doxology so what, okay so I'm really glad you said that mm-hmm. because do- doxology means worship yeah so what were you thinking orthopraxy, orthopraxy. Oh, okay so it's kind so, of, a, I don't um, think it's an actual word, but, you know, they, they, they say your the orthodoxy practice, should affect yeah. your orthopraxy, right? It's not an actual so, thing, but it's your theology yeah. should affect your life. We worship God in all that we do, though, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you Wait, should. It's supposed to. Just say yes. Yes. <laughs> you should, John. <laughs> all right. So I think we're good. You I think we're good. should, yeah. John. So the second part, the second part clarifies it. Um, does it affect how you approach ministry or approach life? Yeah. So, um, you know, yes, but also, um, maybe not as much as it should, if it's not in the forefront of your mind, I would say, um, you know, the focus of the, of an, um, the all millennial view is that, you know, God could return at any time. He is currently reigning, reigning and ruling. Um, you know, the thousand years is taken as a symbolic amount. So we are, you know, so he ascends and we are in, in the millennium in, in a sense. Um, so, you know, he is in control. Um, there's no, um, nothing that's outside his, his influence or his control. You know, he's, he's keeping all things together. So I think, you know, there should be an element of, of joy and, um, trust that comes with that. Uh, one of the a big thing in in Lutheranism is the doctrine of vocation. Martin Luther was very um, very not very concerned with that, but it was it was a point of emphasis for him that you know um, a priest was not a priest who dedicated his life to you know a monastery monk or a nun or something like that um, was not in essence more holy than a man who made shoes to the glory of God. Um, so. You know, marrying those two things together is, you know, we should work, we should work as under the Lord. We should um, serve uh, our neighbors and, um, you know, as, as we um, would view serving God. So, you know, trust, joy, knowing that he's in control, he's on the throne. um, And that, uh, you know, ultimately it's not up to us to usher in the kingdom, but it's, um, you know, and we're not, you know, don't have to headline chase because um, I've, I've I've seen criticisms of both post mill and uh, dispensationalism or pre mill. You know, as both can be kind of headline chasers. Mm-hmm. Um, 
dispensationalism, like they were very focused on, you know, Russia and Israel. And, and that's kind of how I grew up. Right. And then post mill, it's like, Oh, something, something awesome happened. Well, that's a sign, you know? So I think that, uh, I think that's one of the reasons I think all mill is the strongest, um, view. Um, and that, uh, you know, just to trust in God and, and, uh, you know, he's in control. So, I don't know. Not really well thought out, but that's where, that's where I'm at. <laughs> so, let's see. I mean, I, I guess I would say, like, where I'm at as, uh, in regards to eschatology, I guess being Amel, um, there's, for for me, it's like, there's, there's not a, uh, there's nothing to fear. I mean, there's nothing to to worry about. Um, because the second coming isn't something that for me is I'm scared about or I'm I'm terrified of or or anything along like those lines. Um, I don't I'm not I mean the tribulation and all that kind of stuff, like that's not something that I I'm 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 worried about. Um the second coming is something to um will probably more than likely not be in my lifetime, but it's something that is to to look forward to. Um, it's something that it's easy to, to sing songs, uh, songs about, to, uh, read the Psalms about, I mean, like the second coming is nothing really, um, uh, concerning. And like within the, like, I mean, eschatology, I mean, like everything is, I mean, the uh, like I guess like the uh, like the assurance of like the the second coming and um, I guess like the the restoration of of earth and the unification of like of heaven and earth. I mean, those are things to uh, like I've, I'm kind of like repeating myself, but those are things to 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 look forward to, uh, to 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 be excited about. And so, I mean, like I mean. Um, work is has it gives work new meaning it gives worship new meaning it gives life um new new meaning um like ministry is 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 good like i'm not scared i'm not anxious or any of those kind of things um i don't have to worry about like what if or any of that 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 type of of thing um i mean like like i kind of was talking about earlier with people who were i remember from like my early days of christian um, like I don't have a, like a, 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 some kind of like weird, like bitterness or anger towards uh, creation or towards my, my own like physical body or any of that kind of thing. Um, but like everything is, everything is good and like everything is and, like literally and figuratively, um, mm. like made new. Um, and so like, those are all, those are all good things. I mean, like I don't lose sleep over eschatology i mean or that kind of that kind of stuff which i know quite a few people who i'm and I, the number is growing but there's a lot of people i know who have lost sleep who have uh, like had to suffered with like legitimate like anxiety and just all sorts of like kind of kind of weird things man and so like for me it's 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 good mm -hmm. and i think for the christian it should be a good thing Any additional thoughts? Yeah. Oh, just a quick one. Orthopraxy is a legit word. 
<laughs> you know, it means it means uh, your practice or your rule. Um, ortho is straight or right, so it means right practice essentially. Couldn't remember if it was just a pop culture thing or you know a sort of cobbled together word to be cute in contrast with orthodoxy, but it is a it is legit. So we're not total amateurs around here. All right, no responses for four. Question five. Is for this is related. Um, why should people follow your view on eschatology? Other than you know, the Bible is correct. And my interpretation <laughs> is correct. Ross, you want to go first? No, I don't have an answer. Uh, sure. Uh, but uh, you know. Again, I've got to say, I, I can't be, I'm not going to be that persuasive because <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to be. Um, the, I think the, the best part uh, of my stance is the progressive part uh, of the dispensationalism because it allows me to take um, a lot of what you guys who are in the amillennial camp and the postmillennial camp believe and say, yes, that has been fulfilled in part. But the complete mm. realization, the complete fulfillment is still yet to come. And so, you know, I get to hedge my bet both ways. <laughs> um, That's and so, cheating. I, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. And I'm, I'm fine with cheating. <laughs> no. Um, that's really, I think, the uh, the strength, of, uh, the best strength of, of what I, I've got. Um, you know, I do like not like uh, I feel like it, it's it's wise to have that sense of urgency now where you get it from it is um, up to you I guess whether you get it from your sense of where what's going to happen with the rapture or or the uh, the tribulation or whatever else or whether you believe it, it it's a matter of again you know we all die and we all stand before God wherever you get your urgency from I think there needs to be that um, and but I, I've got a little bit, you know, another log on my fire with the idea of the uh, of the uh, tribulation being such a, a horrible um, mm -hmm. time of suffering, like uh, nothing we've ever seen before. Um, and so with that, because, you know, I generally like people and so I, I'd rather them not suffer. Uh, mm -hmm. So that that likes it that's just another log on the fire um but for the most part you know I'll, I'll hear you know i'll sit down in discussion about this and i'll hear people out and and um and i'm not gonna work really hard to try to convince you otherwise uh, i've got a friend who is kind of like what micah was saying earlier that there's people who just latch on to the headlines and they're like this is you know they're trying to make mm -hmm. things happen and, and things are falling into place and like well yeah, they could be. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to convince them otherwise. Um, yeah, I. I hate to see people go down the rabbit hole where it removes them from culture. That's, I think, the main thing I'm concerned about, which is definitely a real possibility with, um, with the people in my camp, so to speak. Uh, I hate seeing that. It, it definitely happens. 
Um, but I, I feel like most people who have done that eventually burn out on it because you can only wait with that level of anticipation mm -hmm. so long um, before you just say, okay, I, emotionally, I can't sustain this anymore. Um, and you got to check out to some degree anyway. You may still be thinking, yeah, it's about to happen, but I'm going to get on with life. Um, but um, I, I just I hate to see people disengage and, and get this idea of we've got to build some uh, some shelter, some some haven for our people um, to be able to withstand the end times. And um, I'm like, well, first of all, I'm not 100% sure the church is going to be here for the for the tribulation. Um, like I said, I want to be prepared spiritually in case it is, but, um, you know, if, if we're not, wonderful. <laughs> that much better. Mm -hmm. I, I don't like the idea of suffering. So, uh, that's, uh, like I said, I, I just can't be that particular about trying to get people to switch over to my camp. I just don't feel like the book of Revelation, and Daniel especially, <laughs> is clear enough for us to be able to be dogmatic about it. So that's where I stand. So how large is your underground bunker? No, it's, it's only uh, 40 <laughs> by 20. Nice, I'm jealous. Everyone wants mm. everyone wants a bunker, right? Doesn't work in West Texas. Very Doesn't easy, hurt. though. Yeah, unless you got a lot of dynamite. No, there's not even there's not even basements here in DFW. They don't yeah, even yeah. have basements because of the clay. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that's tough luck. What about you, Mitch? Why should people be uh, uh, post mill? Well, as you said, it's it's biblical. But, um, no, I was <laughs> one of the things Ross was saying reminded me of of when I was a kid in, in the youth group and, you know, people were talking about, you know, you don't want to be left behind. You don't want to have to go through the tribulation. And, and there was always the one kid that would, would pipe up and say, well, when it happens, then I'll get right with God. And, and, uh, you know, that's, that's a cop out. First of all, I mean, if, if there was a tribulation, don't you think it's going to be that much more harder to, uh, to come to faith? You know, even though you see evil all around you, it's, the way I understand it is that the Holy Spirit is removed during that time. So there's no, um, or at least makes it harder, I guess, to uh, be saved. But I don't know. I mean, we all agree it's, it's not a it's not a salvation thing. Um, I would just have to say, for me, um, it's it's more it's given me more peace and and living my life. As far as knowing that, you know, as Sproul said, there's not a, a molecule in the universe that God doesn't have control over, I think. Um, just knowing things like that, that um, the all the, the bad stuff of the rapture and, and the tribulation is in the past. It's uh, It was Israel. It was the judgment on Israel. So. You don't have to worry about it. But if you're if you're saved, then you don't have to worry about anything, whether it's post mill, a mill, uh, dispensational. You know, you're not going to have to deal with that. You you'll deal with the day to day, um, you know, as hatred, I guess, as they, as they hated Jesus. But uh, I don't know. I'm not a salesman. It's just, you know, 
you want to talk about it, we'll talk about it and you make your own decisions. John. Um, great question, man. Um, I kind of feel like unintentionally answered a lot of this in the, in my response to the last question. Um, so I'm trying to come up with something else. I, I honestly, man, I think it's worth noting and paying attention. It doesn't make it an absolute thing, but I think it's worth noting and paying attention that throughout the throughout church history, the most dominant view was and is or was mm-hmm. maybe still is worldwide, maybe not in America, but worldwide. Amil is mm-hmm. has been the most dominant view throughout church history, and that really should make you think. Like, why was this the dominant view throughout church history? And if you're going to say no to that, then why was the church wrong for such a long period of time? Mm-hmm. That's a fair question. I think that's a legit fair question. Yeah. Agreed. And you have to give an answer for that. And like, if I was going to like just be like straight and blunt to the point, that's probably where I would go with that. Yeah. There's a lot of other stuff, but I answered the mm-hmm. question before. But I mean, just being blunt and putting it out there, yeah. that's probably what I would say. Yeah. I I think my question or my answer to that is very, very similar because, you know, I think most people who have studied the issue and regardless of what view they come to, they're going to believe that it's biblical, right? So there's that uh, level of um, argumentation. Secondary, I think, to that, not, not quite as important. Um, there are traditions, of course, that hold traditions or denominations that hold tradition in uh, varying levels of importance. But I think that the history question is a really good question. Um, it is one of the and most dominant, dominant views uh, among if the I, If I church. can also just really quick quote Sproul, R.C. Sproul also. I mean, his quote on if your theology isn't 2,000 years old, then you should probably <laughs> go back and reconsider it. Now, we could apply that to other things, too. We don't but, need to. We just need to apply it to eschatology. But we're just applying it to eschatology, <laughs> says the Lutheran as he holds back because he's trying to restrain himself. Um, yeah, so pre, 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 pre-millennialism and was a very predominant view in the, the early church fathers as well as Amil. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're, both, they're both present in some form. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of crossover between mm-hmm. post-mill and Amil in certain aspects, especially as you kind of get further down into more and more definitions like partial preterism or, you know, historism or, um, historicism. Um, and like if, and here's the other thing, man, okay, who's answering like, the question, John, is it me or you? Hey, Hey, <laughs> Hey, Hey, Oh no, I yield. Some We're of my recording time this John. off of my computer. He knows the producer. too. <laughs> I yield some of my time to the interrupter. Right. But like you mentioned the thing about how a pre-mill has had a dominant view in church history, which is true. But because of the state of the world we're in right now, there's historic pre-mill and then um, dispensationalist pre-mill. Yeah. And those aren't the same thing. They're, yeah, they're not identical for sure. And like, I don't know if, anybody, if everybody's had fun here tonight, but if, if y'all would like to do a part two, we can do that and cover a lot of the other stuff later if y'all want to. We could get um, more into that. That's worth noting also. Yeah. For but. sure. There's we didn't touch on the massive part of uh, yeah. of what is said in 
in right. apocalyptic literature. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think that um, the historical argument is very persuasive, not just for this, but other issues. Um, and I think that, you know, part of what made the, I would say the part of what made the connection for me was realizing that 666 mm-hmm. was actually referring to Nero. Or that, that's the contention Boom. of a lot of people in the Amil camp, at least maybe six, 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 well. or six one. Um, but just some of the historical tie-ins, you know, were using code to refer to Nero because they didn't want to, um, didn't want to alert, you know, people to mm-hmm. what they were actually talking about, um, the persecuted church. So, yeah, I think, I think, uh, people should follow my view because it's the most correct and it is the most correct because I hold to it, not the other <laughs> way around. So, um, if you guys could just get on board, that'd be great. No, yeah. no I Mitch, did you say little, something a second ago? I'm on a side saying, is it 666 or 616? Yeah. Yeah, or 663 or something. 664, the, the exact, neighbor, uh, the beast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of fun stuff. I mean, you know, it's, it's a, there's a lot of rabbit holes on all different sides. Oh, um, yeah. And this wasn't even an exegetical treatment of it. It was just, you know, the high level kind of um, in theory sort of thing. So any further thoughts? This is the final question that we had. Any further thoughts on that one? Or in general before we uh, adjourn? No. No, I I, I did want to say, I, I think Micah said it. I can't remember who said it, but that pre-millen or sorry, post-mill and all-mill overlap quite a bit to degree, and I, I can see that. I can, and I mean, I could even, yeah. I won't even rule out me moving more into an all-mill position in the future as I read more and learn more. I mean, uh, I just know that right now it, it fits with. I won't say feel because that's the wrong word to use when you're talking about stuff like this. Um, <laughs> I, I, it just seems right. It just, in my brain, it, it feels like the correct answer. But I, I have not. I admit I haven't read a whole lot about uh, millennialism. We'll see. I'd like to put on the record that Mitch feels something. Well, Thank you. Is this a new development? <laughs> I feel like his beard is far more epic than yours is, yeah. John. Hey, yes. hey, man! That's how long he's he had, had more time. Beard? He's had more time. Ah, okay, man. Six years. Yeah, that's. Yeah, uh, I was gonna this say six is years. Just as a five years. There's a photo evidence Ouch. of me with Facebook me? on Facebook yeah. without a beard. If anybody's curious. <laughs> No, let's cover up your face as much as possible, John. Right. Right. I got out of so I mean in um, my in my Bible college we were not allowed mm. to have facial hair. So once I left there, I started growing out a goatee. So and it's been a steady progression ever since then. Fundi- fundies like to demasculate their men, man. No, it's all about it's all about the business. <laughs> it's all about sales, sales techniques and uh, business suits, man. You got to be professional, but like fifteen years behind. Um, culture polyester so. <laughs> yeah i mean if i could just give like one last comment man um because i know we've we've made it clear that some people like go like 
kind of like cage stage with their eschatology. I think that's the mind. That's a very small group. That's just obnoxiously loud. Yeah. And so for the people who do actually watch this entire thing, I would just, I would like to encourage people to actually take eschatology more seriously because I would argue that the most, the overwhelming majority of Christianity does not take eschatology serious. Don't know what the word means. They don't really care about um, the last days or the last things. And I would just encourage more people to take it more seriously, read the scriptures, pick up a few resources about it and um, start learning and start just learning and tackling mm-hmm. views and see kind of where you land. Uh, because I, I think it's, it's, it's you, it's kind of hard to like to, to attempt to live like a, a, a holistic Christian life without really having an understanding of like what's next. Uh, because your your ecclesiology and your eschatology should inform each other, and when they do, like I would argue, good things happen. Yeah, I think that principles sound that your you know our theology, right? What we know about God should affect mm-hmm. what what we do. Yeah, how right. we live. If it doesn't, you know, I was listening to a guy t- today talk about knowledge puffing up. You know, knowledge for the sake of knowledge can puff up. Um, so for those of you who haven't watched it yet, go watch Ross's episode with John. Um, but you know, our, our theology, right. uh, Regardless of the category that's in, whether that's how we are saved or how we are, you know, how we relate to God or, um, what will happen, you know, in the last days, um, Mm -hmm. should affect how we live, you know? And I think, I think it's interesting, you know, that each system, may have a little bit different focus on that, you know, um, but there's still, an, uh, there still is an effect whether we know it or not on how we live our life. Mm-hmm. So that's a good encouragement, I think. I would like to view this as like an intro episode and maybe do a couple more where we dive into a couple passages. Okay. Game. <laughs> yeah, maybe. We'll see. He's too busy taking care of his kids. <laughs> Family first. What a guy. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. Are we all yep. good? Yep. All right, man. Well, so for everybody watching, I would like to thank you all for joining us. And uh, Mitch and Ross, mm-hmm. thank you all for joining me and Micah. I uh, hope everybody enjoyed the conversation. And for those of y'all watching, as always, don't forget to like the video. Don't forget to subscribe, click the bell. Uh, If you have any thoughts or opinions on eschatology, which I hope you do, feel free to leave a comment below. Maybe we can get the conversation going. And until next time, uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.